This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. In the entrepreneurial space, there's a lot of weird energy around doing anything other than running your own business. But the truth is that running a business can be très très stressful. Ask me how I know. When the money is flowing and sales are rocking, it's easy to beat the run your own business drum. It's amazing. But when we're in a tighter economic situation, when we don't have backup resources like savings or family to rely on, it might truly be worth finding an in-house role. These roles might be on a contract basis, part-time, or full-time. And there's absolutely no shame, and anyone who tells you otherwise is probably trying to sell you something. And getting a job, whether it is an actual J-O-B, doing other types of work from your business, all of these things are extremely beneficial and important. These might be called bridge jobs, but they might also be a brand new way to design a career. Some people are calling these portfolio careers, but there's also the concept of hybrid work. In this interview, I'm speaking with Laura Dolch, who has gone through many different iterations of her business and career and continues to evolve her work as she grows and evolves too. Laura Dolch is a podcast producer, executive coach, facilitator, learning architect, communications leader, and host of the top career and health podcast, She Knows the Way. She has spent over 15 years guiding individuals and organizations to articulate their vision and reach their potential. She's trained as a marketer, an integrative health coach, a Pilates instructor, and leadership development specialist. And she brings a 360 degree perspective to her work with businesses of all sizes. So let's get right into that interview. I know you're going to resonate with this one, so enjoy. So one of the things I really loved that, you know, your business and your life and your career has evolved a lot over the years. And I think that as a society, kind of what we consider to be our vocation or our work tends to impact a lot of our lives. So I would love to hear from your perspective, what naming the type of work that you do has done in terms of changing how you feel about it. So I know you used to consider yourself mm. to be more of a business owner and now you call yourself more of a freelancer and obviously you're a podcast host. You have a lot going on. What has shifted in how you see the work that you do and the words that you use to describe it? Yeah, it's so interesting. This is a conversation that I have a lot recently because I think that you know, often people look at all the different things that I do and all of the things that I have done in my past career and are like scratching their head a little bit. And to me, it all makes total sense because it's exactly what you said. It's an evolution. Like it makes total sense that I've ended up here. I think to answer your question, language is powerful, right? Like the way that we think and talk about things definitely impacts the way that we, that we act. Right. And I think for me, learning how to tell the story of what I do and tell it in a way that feels um, authentic to who I am and and what and the work and the value that I bring has been is an ongoing journey. <laughs> right? So yes, the way I talk about it does matter. It matters to me and it also matters to the people that I'm explaining it to for them to wrap their head around it because at the end of the day, if they can't understand what you do and what value that you add, they don't know how to hire you. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. I know like everyone has a very entrepreneurial lens and I think we kind of glorify entrepreneurship in a lot of ways, but I think there's also a lot of freedom in freelancing or thinking about yourself slightly outside of that traditional like small business owner type frame. So do you find that as well, that you have maybe more flexibility around how you do your work when you're not considering yourself as, you know, the business owner with the business owner hat, for example? Yeah, I think that's the biggest shift that happened for me, you know, is when I made that distinction. And this was fairly recent. I mean, this has been sometime in the past six, three months, probably even. Like it hasn't been that long when I was like, you know what? I'm just calling myself a freelancer. And there was this, yes, there was this freedom in it. There was this sort of weight lifted from my shoulders about feeling like, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I felt like I didn't have to hustle as much, which is not true. Like, you still have to get stuff moving, (laughs) but it somehow feels different. I think it alleviated that stress that I was feeling to connect all the dots for people. I still do it because, again, they have a hard time hiring you (laughs) if they don't understand what you do. But I didn't feel like I had to tell such a tight story. And in, and in taking that pressure off of my, myself, I actually think the story quote unquote that I tell about my work is actually stronger. It's, it's so weird, but I think, yeah, for me, it was just, just taking off that psychological pressure that I felt to sort of build this thing that was outside of me. And as a freelancer, it doesn't feel outside of me somehow. It just feels like this is what I'm doing right now. And it might be different six months from now. And it might be different a year from now. Because frankly, that's how my business, my quote unquote business, you know, has evolved. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, no, I can really resonate with that too. And I think for some things, it makes sense to be building like a separate entity and a separate, you know, thing that lives on its own. And the other people work on, you know, for example, Access Allied software. So it's not me, right? And right. compared to where you're providing services or, you know, you, you bring so much of your inner genius into the work that you do. So it makes sense that it's, you know, you. And at the same time, it can take different forms because you're always changing and shifting and learning yourself. Right. Exactly. I think that's a really well articulated. And I think even though like part of my work, for example, is producing podcasts, both for myself and for other people, I could have said, okay, well, I'm going to create a podcasting studio. Like that's my business. And I considered that, but I was like, but that's not the only thing I want to do. (laughs) Right. I also want to continue being a facilitator and a leadership trainer. And I still want to design learning experiences, you know, for universities and businesses. And like, I still want to do these things and they don't fit into that like I just felt this this pressure to, you know, when when I was thinking about it as a business, it was like it needed to be one track somehow. It's that whole like niching down thing that we all kind of became indoctrinated with when in reality, you know, all of the things that I do are connected and they all draw on the same skill set, but they're a little bit different from one another. Different, but interrelated. I don't know. <laughs> so yes, I think that's right. When it's just you... You can talk about your work a little bit differently. And frankly, you know, I also have, you know, clients who, um, like, just to get into the nitty gritty of my sort of income, I have, you know, relationships that are on W-2s, like where I'm a part-time employee, because that's the way some businesses like to work with you, right? And then I also have my own business entity that has existed, you know, since forever ago, you know, where I run 1099 income through. So again, that's a little more nuts and bolts, but it's somehow... 
I don't know, it, it, even that feels like non-traditional if you're like a business owner. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a business owner getting W2 income, like, what is that? You know? And I'm like, well, whatever, that's how they want to work with me. I think it's, it's very relevant. I think, you know, I just chatted with uh, Melissa Casera on another off the charts uh, episode, and she basically has a dual career where she has, you know, VIP days for PR clients. And then she also writes novels and writes screenplays. And it's, you know, that's just her. That's, those are the skills and the things that she wants to put out into the world. And it's the same with you. You have different ways of working with different types of companies or clients. And that, that is really cool. It's sort of like being multi-passionate, but in your career, in how you like to kind of be in the world and like create value essentially. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, even before I started calling myself a freelancer, I was sort of trying to explain to people that I was creating a portfolio career, but that didn't, people couldn't wrap their head around that. Um, And for some reason it didn't feel right to me either. Like I played around with that language for a while too. And then just was like, you know what, I'm just a freelancer or not just a freelancer, not to downplay that, but I'm a freelancer, (laughs) right? I mean, you know, because the sort of three ways that I typically engage with clients, which are, which are, you know, podcast production, podcast strategy and production, content strategy in general, or learning content design and facilitation. To me, all of those are in service to educating and inspiring. So that to me is the thread. Like everything that I do is in service to creating content that educates and educates, inspires, entertains, hopefully does all three of those things, right? It just shows up in different um, ways. And so to me, that makes perfect sense. And I, you know, like, for example, if you were to go to my LinkedIn profile, I talk about being a storyteller because ultimately that's what I'm doing in all of these scenarios. And it took me a long time to understand that, right? To find that thread. Yeah, I think I think we're all constantly looking <laughs> for the thread <laughs> in all of our, yes. our lives and businesses and stuff. So yeah, and that kind of leads me to what do you consider to be an off the charts life and business or career? Mm. Because I think we get to decide what we put on our chart. We get to decide what that looks like for us. And maybe it is, you know, being able to express all these different parts through storytelling or entertainment or education. I'm not sure what that is for you. Yeah. Well, I always say to people when they ask, like, you know, would you consider a full-time job? Because I occasionally have clients who ask me that. And I always say to them, yes, if you can hire me to do all of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so far no one has been able to do that. Right. Because the, especially with, you know, mid to large organizations, like part of why they work is because they've siloed people, right? People are specialists at what they do. So to me, off the charts is that, right? It's being able to do all of those things, whatever those things are at any given time in my life and career. And I have, I have come to understand that in my life in general, I have always prioritized freedom and flexibility over everything else. And this shows up in my work, in my personal life, like, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Like when I look at the story of my life, those are the values that I've always, always prioritized. So that's that's a big piece of it too, is maintaining that freedom and flexibility. I love that. Um, Great. And so one of the things that you help organizations with is facilitating learning and learning design. And I think that, you know, how do you think 
that a lot of companies maybe get learning design wrong and what kind of you've mm. seen in, in that space that could be improved potentially. Mm. Oh my goodness. That is like, you know, the question of the hour in the industry for many, many years. You know, I think one of the things that maybe frustrates me the most is that as learning experience designers, we are often um, dealing with the constraints of the forms that we're designing for, right? So for example, some of my education clients use, I don't want to call out specific brands, but they use (laughs) an LMS that a lot of education uh, organizations use that is limited in its functionality. And so I think, unfortunately, the result of that is often that uh, the learning experiences aren't as dynamic and engaging as they might be otherwise. So that's one thing that I feel like, um, and, and you know, we all have constraints, creative constraints that we have to deal with. But anyway, that's that's definitely a, a challenge. I think, I think the other thing that I, that I've seen some organizations that I work with do really well, which illustrates, you know, maybe the, the flip side of that is focusing on things that are immediately applicable in people's lives rather than creating these learning experiences that feel really theoretical, right? So designing content and delivering content that's not only engaging, but that's literally something that they can apply right away. And again, I won't call out specific brands, but I, you know, some people do that really well and others do not. And the learning gets lost when you can't apply it right away. So yeah, I mean, that those are the two things that are kind of coming to mind right now. There's so many other there's so many things that we, so many avenues that we go down and I'm happy to, but, but yeah, those are the top two that are coming up for me right now. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are coaches or who have their own methodologies, like maybe they're curious about working with organizations and either, you know, licensing their training or, you know, facilitating mm-hmm. training with companies. And I'd love to hear kind of how you got into that space and what you might mm-hmm. recommend to someone who wants to go down a similar path. Yeah. Well, like everything else I do, it just sort of happened. It started when I started my business, you know, in 2010, which is when I met you or somewhere around that year and was, you know, designing courses and workshops and all that kind of stuff for my own business. And I wouldn't have called myself a learning experience designer at the time. Like, I don't even know if that term was something that you ever heard or a learning experience architect or whatever, but that's what I was doing. And so, you know, in 2019, when I sort of first had the inkling of, oh, it's 2018, 2019, I was like, you know what? I'm bored with this business, (laughs) right? Like, what am I going to do next? And I started to look outward for opportunities to apply these skills to other people. And that's when I started to understand that that's what I was doing. I was designing learning experiences. And so I was able to leverage that into roles first with an HR tech startup here in Seattle, um, helping them design content for their platform. And then with the University of Washington, designing, you know, programs and then teaching them um, for them. And then, you know, for a consulting firm that, you know, designed learning experiences for a lot of tech companies like Microsoft, so on and so forth. And so it was literally just talk about you know, storytelling. And, and, and I, I mean that in the sense that packaging up your experience in a way that resonates with the people you're trying to work with, right? Because the skills are all the same. You just have to talk about them differently. And so that first engagement that I had with this HR tech company gave me language that was being used in the HR and people and culture space that I didn't have before. 
And so that allowed me to then connect the dots like, oh, well, that's what I was doing. So what if I talk about it this way? And it worked. You know, so it was marketing, right? And my, and it, you know, as you know, Natalie, my original quote unquote original career, whatever that means, um, was in marketing. So all of those skills came into play in terms of, you know, telling that story in a different way that resonated with the, the buyers, basically. Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know Access Ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows, all in one place on WordPress. You can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access, all on your terms. Go to accessally.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. Yeah. So it sounds like going back to the idea that the words you use matter, you know, you were already doing this work and it was shifting kind of maybe the audience for the work and also how you talk about it so that they can actually latch on and say, oh, no, that's exactly what we need. (laughs) That would be great. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and just spending time in the world that I wanted to be in, right? Like, and absorbing that, you know, absorbing that language because I wouldn't have understood, like, I didn't know who I didn't know who the the buyers were. Like I didn't know what the traditional roles were inside an organization <clears throat> until that first engagement. So I think that's the first step is like spending time with the people you want to work with and and understanding them and their the way they talk about what they need. Which is really marketing 101. Right. <laughs> now that I think of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And what are the types of people in those companies? Because obviously it's connecting with people. So maybe you do it through LinkedIn or maybe you do it at networking events or, you know, other places like that. But how would you know, oh, this is the kind of person who would hire for learning and development or I'm not sure what they they would be. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, if someone else is looking for them, yeah. I mean, the, the, the sort of buyers in those situations are typically, yes, in the learning and development areas of an organization. Sometimes they're the chief human chief human resources officer or someone that works for them. You know, sometimes their titles have like people and culture in them, right? The industry has changed in the way they talk about these roles. But yeah, learning and development and people and culture are kind of like the the key phrases that I would look for if I was going in to search for folks that I might want to work with. And, you know, you'll find leaders inside organizations, especially in the learning and development space, who are so passionate about helping people work in a more human way now. Um, And those are the companies that I really love working with, who are not only trying to equip their managers and their teams with, as I said, tools that are actually useful (laughs) right away, but also doing it in a way that, that brings their humanity into play, both as leaders themselves, but also the humanity of their teams. Yeah, you stole my thunder because I was going to ask you, <laughs> how do you decide or figure out if an organization kind of aligns with the values and the things that you really care about? Is there some indicators that you have when you're talking to them? Or, you know, do you just know by like the way that they're communicating, you know, mm. on their website or in other places? I'm not sure how you kind of get that that feel for the companies and the organizations that you choose to work with. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, that's one of the advantages of being a freelancer, right? Because I can go in and do a project with them. I mean, that's usually what happens is, you know, we talk, you know, we sort of scope something out and then we just go. And then I can get a better sense of who they are 
through that work. Um, but I think, you know, the things that I'm attracted to are, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I mean, before that step, before I sign on, you know, I'm always looking for people that are approaching learning, again, from a human perspective, from a, um, because I'm sort of a psychology nerd, anything that, you know, has sort of the psychology or neuroscience piece to it. I mean, that's, you know, one of my big clients right now falls into that category. And, you know, just sort of feedback from people who've experienced what they're doing that sounds different than like, you know, than what you typically hear in a, in a testimonial. Like I would say on the surface, that's kind of what I'm looking for. And frankly, I mean, they got to have a good website. Cause again, I was a marketer first. So I'm always like, Oh, look at that cool website. I get sucked into it. So <laughs> in fact, I was on, that's funny. Cause I was on a website, some organization that I had never heard of before. And I saw some project that looked interesting. So I went to their website and I was like, I'm out. Like it was so poorly designed, both visually, like the whole, the whole UX UI situation was a mess. And so yeah, I know that maybe sounds crazy, but to me, that's indicative of what's going on inside the company too, right? If they're not paying attention to how they present to the outside world, it's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So switching gears into the podcasting world a little bit. So obviously you have your own podcast, She Knows the Way, and you help produce other podcasts. So what are the kinds of things that you bring from you know the learning and development side, like you said, the storytelling side into the podcast production side? Because I feel like so many people mm-hmm listen to podcasts, want to have a podcast, would love to know more about what happens behind the scenes and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that popped in my head was reminding people that podcasting is about writing, <laughs> right? A lot of times people are like, oh, I'm just going to get turned on the mic and go. No, like you could. Unfortunately, the end product probably wouldn't be particularly compelling. And so I think a lot of the skills that I bring in uh, to that world from the learning space have to do with, you know, scripting and writing and and thinking through the flow of an episode or a season you know, in the sense that I'm, I'm looking for how do I make this material, yes, engaging and entertaining, but also how is it easy to digest for the person listening to it? Because I mean, I listen to podcasts for a lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is to learn things, you know? I mean, yes, I have a lot of, you know, I listen to fiction podcasts too that are not for that. But so I think that's, you know, it's this broad frame of like the flow of the experience that I think about. And then again, the words and the language that we're using, right, which is, yes, it's 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 a lot about writing. There's a lot of writing in podcasting and also understanding that a script and words that are spoken are different, right, from what you would do for like a blog post on a written page. So learning how to write for the ear is something that I'm still um, working on, frankly. Oh, that's such a skill, right? <laughs> to, to oh my gosh, out. totally. Well, and you got to speak it out loud. If you're scripting something, you better be saying it out loud while you're writing it because you'll, you know, right there. I mean, that's the easiest way to do it, right? But there are other, and there are lots of resources online that you can look up for um, how to write for the year. There, there's tons of stuff um, out there, but, but yeah, it's not natural, especially if you, like me, have been writing for the page for, you know, over a decade. And, you know, it was definitely a shift for me. 
But yeah, just remember it's about writing. It's about structuring the experience for the listener. It's about if you're interviewing people, if that's your show format, it's about, you know, active listening and helping the listener tell their story and looking for interesting audio nuggets that sort of paint a scene for the listener. That's the other thing that I always like to share with people is, you know, podcasting, especially if it's more of a storytelling frame, is is a visual is a visual medium. Like you need your storytellers to help the listener see the scene, right? Now that's like a sort of a different approach versus an interview-based show. But but anyway, now I'm getting into the podcast nerddom, so I'll back off a little bit. <laughs> I think I think we're all nerds here, so it's totally welcome. <laughs> so when it comes to your podcast, how does that fit into the mix of all the things that you do? Is it does it help you bring clients in the door and attract the types of people you want to work with? Is it more of a connection piece with maybe the people that you do work with, or how how does that all fit into the the ecology of your business and of your career? Well, it's funny. That is the question of the hour. I actually have a call just after this with a team of graduate students at the University of Washington in the program that I teach in um, who are helping me figure out a lot of that because my podcast has been out of production for about a year now. Um, Originally, it was... When did I first launch the show? In 2017, I guess. Originally, it was content marketing, pure and simple, right? It was interview-based show and it was about you know, health and wellness and and the types of things that I was working with women in particular on in my original coaching business. But then a couple of years ago, when I, as I mentioned earlier, kind of moved away from that business, I was like, okay, what, I still love podcasting. I still love this thing. Like what does it need to become? And so at that point, it kind of just became a passion project and I kind of reformatted it and played around with heavier scripting and all all the things, hired a co-producer or whatever, and then started to understand that it was really in its current form, kind of like just a, a portfolio piece, frankly. So, I mean, yes, it does allow me to say to podcast strategy and production clients, you know, look, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? Along with the other projects that I've worked on, but, um, but I can still point to it as a, as a, piece of that. And I learned so much from doing it. So it really helps me as a producer, even just with workflow, right? And, you know, like I just started with a new production client about a month ago and, you know, understanding how to move them through the process is is different now having having reformatted my own show and especially gone through sort of the scripting process and understanding what that's like. And um, so, yeah, so all of these things, I think, you know, from if I'm thinking about from a business perspective, I don't sort of think of the show as a, as content marketing anymore. And also it sort of functions that way anyway, you know? Oh, I love that because yeah, with, with my show too, I'm like, yes, it's, you know, it's marketing and, you know, content marketing, but at the same time, I'm using it for myself to kind of explore topics that I'm really passionate about and that I find really interesting that I think other people might find interesting in kind of rewriting, you know, what society tells us we're supposed to do essentially. And I think that is, it's such a great thing to have, right. As an outlet. And yes, it's a lot of work. I don't want to say like everyone should just start (laughs) a podcast to explore things because it's fun. But I do think that if there is a way for it to support you know, your career and your business, which I do think a lot of times it would, um, but you can still kind of go off, off road a little bit with it and not necessarily make it a pure, you know, sales machine, if you will, for, for your business or your, your freelance offerings. 
Yeah, exactly. Totally. Well, and it actually led to, you know, the course that I now teach at the University of Washington is part of a program called Communication Leadership. But I teach a class on, we call it engaging interviews, how to structure interviews both for published media, but also intake interviews with clients, for example, right? You know, which I also have a lot of experience in from my marketing and advertising background. So that course, you know, when I was developing it, like a lot of that knowledge and resources came directly from my ex- more recent experience kind of reformatting my show. Like, I don't think that I would have been able to design that course ha- without having gone through that. So, um, and and it's also for anyone who has uh, developed a course and taught someone else something that they just know how to do, <laughs> you know that breaking it down into bits that you can then use as like knowledge transfer for other people is immensely useful for you, too, in terms of honing that skill. Um, having to articulate it to someone else is a totally different experience than just doing it. I love that. And, you know, what that made me think of is that a lot of times, you know, as our careers evolve and we do different projects and different types of work, we tend to be like, okay, I'm starting something new. I'm starting diff- a different project. And we kind of just like clean slate, remove all of our past experience and say, hey, you know, I'm brand new at this. I don't know, you know, what I'm doing. And we kind of discount our past experience. And I think what you've done such a great job at is keeping all of the past experience that you've had and making it into this, you know, super cohesive package that you have available and how did you know how to keep your marketing and your health coaching and, you know, all of the different pieces that you bring to the table so that you're not removing all of that amazing experience you have? Yeah, totally. That's a really good point. Cause I think there, there have been times in my career where I have tried to be like, that's the past me. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like the biggest example of that is when I left the media and entertainment industry and and sort of you know started my own business moved into the health and wellness space and was like I'm done with that but the reality of it is those skills are hugely part of what I do now and and they certainly are part of how I talk about what I do and how I find clients and and so yeah I feel like I'm at this place in my business whatever you want to call it and and my life where the integration has finally started to happen you know, where you, yes, to your point, like you recognize the value of all of these pieces and see how they, even if you let some of them go, which I have, right? Like I don't do health coaching anymore. I don't like, I don't do a lot of that stuff anymore, but you keep what is still relevant. Yeah. And I think that's really important to be able to, to see that, to, to bring it through. Yeah. I love that. And so if people want to find out more about you and where to work with you, hire you, do all the cool things, <laughs> where would they go? Yeah, the best place is just to go to my website. It's laradolch.com. All the things are there. And yeah, I'm always happy to talk to folks about any of it. Reflecting on everything I've done and where I am now and my experience as a, you know, newbie business owner back in the day, I think what I have learned is to just take some of the pressure off of myself. I mean, and also, you know, to your earlier point, Natalie, like building your own definition of off the charts. And that's a conversation I've been having with so many people recently. And it's not easy, right? It's not easy to take a different approach, take a different path. People are going to question you at every single step. And they still do. And I still question myself. 
right? And so I think just knowing that 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 that's going to happen and being prepared for it and and knowing that it's just part of the process somehow I think helps. Like I wish someone had told me that, <laughs> right? How much resistance I was going to get from other people and then from me. And they're all well-meaning people, but you know, if you can find a way to do it your own way and you have the means to do that, which is important to keep in mind too. I mean, not everyone has the means to 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 forge their own path. So I want to I want to acknowledge that here that I've been very fortunate in that way. Just know that it's not it's not an easy path, but depending on what you're what you value, it can absolutely be the right path for you despite that. Yeah, and my experience definitely echoes that. I feel like, you know, people are constantly asking like, why would you do that? Why would you move to a farm? And why why would you start your business instead of taking a job right out of college? You know, all of these things that to the outside world don't seem to make sense, but and sometimes they do cause you to question yourself too, like you said. And yeah. at the same time, there's usually a little inside voice telling you, yeah, like try that or go in that direction. <laughs> it might not be, you know, the scripted path, but let's see where it goes and see what happens. And I, I love that you've been able to do that. And also, yeah, I like that you acknowledge that it's not easy for everyone and we don't all have the same resources available to explore and, you know, take the the unnatural path sometimes that that might not be open to everyone. So I think that's that's really great to yeah. keep in mind. Yeah. 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 And there's I you know I'll also say, you know, there's no like part of my journey has been a number of full-time jobs during this whole experience, right? Like there is no it doesn't mean that you're not doing it right if you decide at a certain time to take a full-time job while you're you know, figuring out what's next or building something or like that. To me, that's just part of the journey um, to kind of come in and out of that. And I will, the one last thing I'll say is that I really believe, and I'm certainly not like, you know, a financial or economic expert, but I just, I really firmly believe that it's at this point in like the world that being able to find your own way in terms of work is frankly more stable than than being a full-time employee. Like I really believe that. And I see friends who, you know, we were all brought up, or those of us of, you know, who were Gen X, we were brought up to believe that being a full-time employee was the the safest path. And that may have been the case at one point in time for sure, but I don't think it is anymore. And I, you know, I see my, you know, friends getting laid off who've had full-time jobs their whole career. And they can't sort of make this mental shift from I have to be employed by one person to okay, well, maybe I'm employed by one person for a while, but it's just a project. It's just another project. Maybe I'm getting benefits while I'm on that project. Great. Right. But that's the way that I think of it now. And I feel like that's been a really helpful mindset shift for me. And it does. I feel more secure, even though, yeah, you know, my revenue is up and down as it is with a freelance, you know, business. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think I'm in a very similar place. So I have friends I graduated with from universities and they ended up at like very prestigious, you know, like Google and Microsoft and all of these places. And a lot of these companies are doing layoffs right now. And I'm really grateful. You know, I feel like I definitely struggled more in the beginning of my career, starting my business and figuring everything out. And, you know, there's definitely ups and downs, like you mentioned, but just knowing that it's kind of in your own 
control in a way and mm-hmm. gives us a little bit of that flexibility and freedom. And yeah, you might need to, like you said, take you know jobs for a little bit here and there while you're figuring things out or just to give you a little bit more stability every now and then. Um, but just knowing, like you said, that it could be more of a short-term project or a part of your portfolio, which I do really like that concept as well. Um, because yeah, like the world is changing all the time. And also, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about you know, being able to live below your means and all of that. I think being an entrepreneur sort of teaches you that too, because you realize like one month might be great. And then the next month you might not have as much income. So you need to just be very sort of uh, risk averse (laughs) with your own spending. That's a really good point. It it does absolutely teach you that, you know, it's like, oh, all right, this is a a slow month or a slow week. And okay, so I'm going to do some other things. (laughs) Yeah. When, when it's slow, you plant new seeds and they'll sprout in, you know, a couple of months and you never know what will, (laughs) what will come of them. (laughs) That is absolutely true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on with me today, Lara. And yeah, you have so much wisdom and so much cool experience to share with people. And I hope that everyone goes to check out your website and all of the awesomeness that you're creating. Oh, thank you, Natalie. So fun to connect with you. Want to keep growing your business on your terms? Then sign up for my free newsletter, The Momentum Memo. You'll get quick, actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every Tuesday. Head over to natalielussier.com forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms. Whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while, the Momentum Memo has something for you. 